G'day punters and welcome to Tabs Inside 50, Nick Quinn and Shane Crawford as per usual and this week our very special guest, a man that made the number 46 very special for the red, white and blue, a warm welcome to Lin Jong. Thank you for having me. Uh, I must admit I, I did see a few of the lists of the of the past guests you've had and you must be scraping the bottom of the barrel to, to have me on the show. We've oh, got the big like guns that. out. No, do you know what? We, we just sort of go with what we feel and we feel that you are the right person for us this week. And let's talk about 46, okay? <laughs> uh, and I'm going to put Nick Quinn under the pump here. How many famous 46s throughout all the different footy clubs over the last 100 years? Was Is Sean there any Re- that come to mind straight away? Like, <laughs> what was Sean Red over in Adelaide? Was he 46? No, he he wasn't 46. Or I, I think of Johnny Platten, 44. You know, there's plenty of famous 44s, but... What about you, Lynn? Obviously a number that's close to your heart. Did you do any research to work out uh, any sort of star players over a long period that had worn that number? Uh, not really. So it, uh, it was my number at, at Oakley Charges, um, and coincidentally it's, it's my date of birth, the 4th of the 6th. And so, oh, there you go. so mum and dad were, were obsessed with it, and, and uh, I, I don't know if the Bulldogs knew it all, but... Um, but yeah, they usually give the, uh, the high numbers to the to their average draft pick. So I ended up. With <laughs> hey, that. hang on! My first number was fifty-one. <laughs> so you're saying I was average, eh? Draft <laughs> draft pick, I mean. <laughs> um, no, no, no. It's good. It's, there you go. It's got a good little link. Um, I know Nick's been on the phone very quickly trying to work out some of the star players from the past. So come on. Throw well, Sean Wren was 52, so I was close, but no cigar. <laughs> but you did come off the rookie list. You got 46. You established yourself, though, and they did give you the choice to maybe upgrade your number or change it. But you said, no, I'm sticking with the 46. Yeah, I think it was after maybe 2014. They asked if I wanted to change numbers. Um, and uh, Ryan Griffin just sort of uh, just left the, the club then. So... So 16 was up for grads, but um, but no, I was pretty comfortable with, with the setting of, of where the locker was, especially um, amongst <laughs> amongst my fellow sort of high numbers. So uh, no, I was, I was happy to stick with that and, and, you know, tried to make it a number of my own as much as I could. Yeah, but just, uh, now, just on the back of that, the great Sue Rioli, 33, what a superstar he was. Uh, when I'd taken off, they said... Uh, would you like number nine? He said, no, thanks. <laughs> nah, I'm staying with 33. No, nah, don't want number nine. So I understand, you know, you stick with a number that he feels right. So uh, 46 yeah. for you. Felt yeah, right. I feel like there's a tiny bit of pressure as well if you, if you switch numbers <laughs> and, and you end up being no good. Um, but, yeah, no, I was, pretty, I was pretty happy I stuck with it. Now, we'll get to your time at the Dogs in a sec, but take us back to the early years. What do you remember about your junior footy? Uh, so I started playing uh, when I was when I was fifteen, sort of for my junior club. Uh, my first experience playing footy was was in primary school. We just did one of those round robin days where you play for other schools on the one day, and and you know sort sort of enjoyed it. And then through through high school, my, my friends all played, and and um, felt like that was sort of a good connection to, to do that as well as as much as I enjoyed playing it. So um, it was pretty pretty raw, obviously. You know, didn't grow up. Um, having footy in my life, and and you know, no no brothers playing it. I, I got four sisters, so um, it sort of just yeah, it sort of just came off my own bat. And 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 my dad, you know, really wanted me to sort of play because he he enjoys sports. But but besides that, it just came about just because my friends all played. So four sisters. So where do you fit in amongst four sisters? Uh, the youngest. So really? Yeah, oh, yeah. they so would got, look after you. No, nah, I got beat up a fair <laughs> bit. <so. laughs> no, nah, they'll be always looking out for you. And so, what what sport or what activities did you do as a kid? Obviously, AFL football wasn't there. 
So what was it? Um, so I sort of played basketball um, when I was younger. Sport wasn't like a big thing in my family, and, and uh, mum was sort of, um, you know, being quite stereotypical, but big on big on studying. And, and mm-hmm. um, I think once she realised I was no good at that, um, <laughs> she was happy for me to play sports. But but she never wanted me to play footy at all. So um, so it was basketball, and then and then when you get to that point where you play TAC Cup, uh, you either pick footy or basketball, and then I just picked footy just because I enjoyed it more, not because I actually thought I could go anywhere with it. And did you say you didn't start really playing until you were 15? Is that right? Yep, 15. So um, so kicking was a big thing for me that I, I couldn't quite get the knack of. But, um, yeah, but I think I can be cut some slack, considering all things considered. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, starting at 15, there's quite an incredible journey, really, when you think about it. If you're, you're taking up football seriously around that age or you're starting to mix and mingle a bit, um, wow, you know, where you've got a lot of the guys you're going up against, they've been probably going for 10 years, you know, some even more probably practising in the backyard a lot. So it's quite incredible that you actually got to the Bulldogs and got a chance to, to have a crack at the big league. Yeah, it was sort of sort of weird when I, when I got drafted. I felt like there were a lot better players than me, but um, I sort of just, it must have been sort of the, the scope for improvement for me. And so, um, you know, it probably took me another three or four years in the system to actually feel confident in myself. And it felt like, you know, I, I knew how to play play footy, um, you know, as opposed to when I was 18. And, and, you know, I thought there was a lot of other better players than me that, that could have been drafted. But, um, but yeah, sort of, um, it, it's just, yeah, it's funny how, how that all turned out. Now, you, ne- you never went to draft camp, did you? So no, that no, wasn't something didn't. you didn't do, but you did a bit of testing with a rookie sort of draft where it was everyone was allowed to, to go on test. And I know this because Ben Dixon was involved and he said that you tested, you just blew everyone away uh, with a few things from a testing point of view, but your your jump, your leap, as good as Nick Natanui's. So that's how high this man can jump. Um, and, he, and he said... Lin Jong, Bulldogs never played him in the right position. He should have been either on the wing or used as a ruckman. So how tall are you? I'm 189. So 189, but yeah. if you've got the leap that he has, Quinny, very much like yourself, huge springs in those legs. <laughs> um, you know, so obviously basketball had a, a great grounding for you, but were you able to slam dunk the ball and stuff like that coming through? Yeah, yeah, I used to be able to. Um, and, yeah, back back in those sort of those testing things, that sort of – um, that's sort of, I guess, what what you know made me stand out. Um, besides everyone else, um, obviously I didn't get invited to any of those things. But um, yeah, I, I like to think sort of those those stats sort of they can help out in, in terms of um, I don't know figuring out someone's potential. I suppose. So what about what uh, Dicko said? He said, oh, "I don't think the Bulldogs played him in the right spots." <laughs> I actually did play Ruck a, a few times. Oh, did you? Oh, Maybe those games only because I think we ran out of options, but um, but I think I lost my leap a fair bit um, after after a few injuries. But um, but no, those are very nice things of him to say. He might be a bit of mayo on it um, comparing me to Nick Nat, but uh. no, well he, he that's what he said. He said no, I'm telling you, his leap was as big as. Nick Natanui's, and they should have used him in the ruck more, especially centre bounces. I'll, I'll like. take it, though. I will take it. Yeah, well, there you go. Something a bit different. You don't always have to be tall to be the ruckman, Quinny. He did. We get saw the that memo. with Sean Grigg, he but he couldn't get jump. The memo. 
There's no room for modesty in this room. When you're with me and Croft, you don't talk the stories down and you don't self-deprecate. It's not how we roll in here. Now, walk us through your family background as well because your dad sounded like he came from a very rough situation. Your family relocated to Australia in 1985 before you joined us on the planet. What can you remember from those early days? And they talk much about what happened, especially with your dad who had to flee a civil war? Um, so not not till we were a bit older, they they started to to talk about it more, and obviously as as kids, we, we grew a bit more curious um, and got a better appreciation of, of sort of the things they did just to make it to Australia. Um, you sort of yeah, you mentioned dad was dad was eighteen when he um, he left uh, East Timor to uh, he left to study, and, and then there was a civil war uh, months after that, so he couldn't come home, um, and so that was. You know, pretty pretty traumatic thing for him, and um, eventually he sort of was travelling, and and mum and dad met in Taiwan, where where mum's from, um, where they had my older sister, and then somewhere along the lines they they just wanted a better life, and and came came to Australia. Dad was a was a taxi driver. Um, not sure, my mum was a was a chef back in Taiwan, but uh, but. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how true that is after eating some of her meals, but, <laughs> but it's like now, now that I'm actually older, it's it's pretty crazy to think all that happened. Like, you know, for me to play AFL, that was pretty, pretty lucky, and and all those things can only happen because they, you know, made those decisions. So, how does your dad go being a taxi driver? You know, when back then, obviously being in Melbourne, you need a, a Melway, so you got to turn the pages. It's hard enough to work out where you're going as it is. So how did he? How did he go trying to work out a big city like Melbourne? I reckon he got into a few pantons with the uh, <laughs> with the passengers, but um, it's uh, even things like that. Like to to even think you could be a taxi driver, but <laughs> but it's almost like those. You know, his options were pretty limited, and and. Um, and yeah, you just uh, you know, see someone I really admire to to you know even think about doing that to a country you've never been to, to a language you don't speak. Yeah, um, it's something that I'm just really grateful for now that now that I've uh, now that I can understand it more. Long hours as well, and did you see him much at night, or was he out working frequently? Um, I don't really recall seeing him too much. Um, so he was you know working a, a fair bit. Um, you know, I can't imagine imagine sort of. He had to do a few cab rides to to make ends meet. Um, so, um, sort of now, um, now he's got obviously a new job, and um, it's yeah, he, he was you know around a bit more after after finishing up those those hours. And as you progress with your footy, how hard was it for your family to understand and comprehend just how good you were and what a magnificent achievement it was when you started to enter the AFL ranks? Well, it's like I mentioned earlier, mum <laughs> never watched me play junior <laughs> footy. Um, I, may, I think she made the first first sort of experience was we made the Tack Cup grand final, so I had to make a grand final for her to come watch. <laughs> and I remember when I got drafted, I was I was in my room, I was on my laptop. It's not like I was with the family, and you know, you see on the on the draft nights, it wasn't like that. Um, and my name came up, and there was a typo, so I wasn't a hundred percent sure it was me either. <laughs> what, what do you mean there was a typo? Yeah, what it, it like? said Ling Jong, and in my head, I was like, maybe there is another Ling Jong out there. <laughs> but <laughs> but they got that wrong, and so and so after I figured out that has to be me, obviously, <laughs> went out. Mum was in the kitchen, and I said, "Oh, Mum, I've just been drafted to the Bulldogs." She's like, "Oh." Good for you. <laughs> Didn't really quite understand, um, you know, what being drafted AFL was, but but now she's just about the number one biggest fan for the Western Bulldogs. Um, 
and again that's pretty a pretty special thing considering she didn't enjoy or know what footy was at all for for years and years it must be refreshing in one way though we I dare say you would have witnessed a lot of really pushy parents and overbearing parents with their children as they went through the ranks. Safe to say you didn't have to worry about that. No, no. So my sister's caught the brunt of that. And, you know, it was, it was about VC scores and ATAR scores. <laughs> so as, as, as you know, the, the kids went through, the, the ATAR score got, got lower and lower. So by the time I came, I think they gave up on that. Um, <laughs> but I was pretty lucky I played footy because I wasn't that great at my studies. And, and what about your dad? What was when you were drafted? Um, you know, did he show much emotion? He obviously understood um, the game of AFL a bit more than your mum. So, you know, was there anything there or is just um, straight bat? No, I think um, – so he was at work, so I had to call him. Um, but he was a pretty reserved sort of person. But um, I, I pretty – yeah, even though he never said it, I, I'm pretty certain it meant, it meant the absolute world to him. Um, you know, he was the one who always drove me to – to footy training and, and things like that, you know, obviously not knowing if I was going to get drafted, just doing it because because I loved playing footy. So, um, and, and now that I, that I am finished up, um, I'm getting sort of a better understanding of how much it meant to them um, being able to play footy, especially for the family, mm. um, being able to come together on a weekend. Um, we never had anything like that. You know, it's not like we went to church on Sundays together. So, um, it's something. Um, I'm yeah, really appreciative of that that I played and was able to sort of give that for them. You get yourself into the system, you get yourself your first game. Take us through telling your parents and and then having them come and watch you in your first game. So tell us about that experience. Yep, so absolutely gifted my first game. <laughs> um, I reckon in my first year I played half of my games in the VFL reserves, not in the VFL ones. And when I did play in the ones, I reckon I played maybe a two good games through the year so it shocked me because I wasn't expecting to play um we were you know really running out of other players at that point <laughs> um so uh I told mum dad um dad like I said before not to doesn't give much but but mum was pretty excited which was nice as I said she didn't watch me play footy so um that was sort of a, a good thing and, and you know told all my mates and you know ordering a lot of tickets um at the MCG and um um, I think oh, sorry, Mum and Dad actually missed my first game because they were overseas. No, <laughs> so they had plan- uh, a trip planned. So <laughs> they went to New Zealand. They watched my second and third game and so on. But um, but I was lucky enough to have my sisters and friends there. So um, yeah, pretty whirlwind experience. Oh, that would have been tough for them, knowing that uh, you know you're playing and they weren't around. But uh, so that was a great thing. Like even with my mother, my mum didn't watch uh, me play footy a lot because she was always working. And um, single single parent, so the one thing I found is being able to play and play well. Um, it just made her so proud and happy. So I'm like, oh, I can actually control how my mum's feeling. Yeah. So it was quite powerful and and very motivating, you know. And I'm sure it would have been very motivating from your point of view because, as you said, it brought your family together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And. You know, especially for the playing well part, that was a lot harder on my end than yours, I'm sure. But um, she was, um, and she started going to games when I wasn't playing. So, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 just crazy to think how much how much she loves it now. And um, and now that I've stopped playing, she she'll continue to be a Bulldogs member and continue to go to games. And um, yeah, to sort of think that I had that influence on her was is 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 something really special. 
Well, you made your debut round 20 against Richmond. Going back earlier on in the year, what can you remember about going to the footy club for the first time and some of the names that stood out? Um, yeah, obviously, nervous wreck as 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 any player would be, and um, I think for me it was uh, I, I was quite self conscious just go knowing, you know, I, I'm from an Asian background and it was a very unique thing, and it, it still sort of is, and and so sort of having that own sort of um, self doubt in my head and just knowing I'm different, everyone. So there was sort of that sort of added layer of 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 feeling a bit um, a bit different. Um, but, you know, once I got in there, it was just like sort of any other normal club. And, and uh, I remember first player I met was Daniel Cross, who I used to love watching, and, and Matthew Boyd. He was, um, you know, a pretty intimidating character. Um, and then, yeah, other guys like Bob Murphy, Daniel Jones, Hirakusa, and, and sort of just walking in there and just thinking how weird it is um, that I started playing footy three years ago and now I'm, you know, in the same locker rooms as, as these sort of guys. And... Um, yeah, and sort of now that I reflect it, <laughs> it is strange that I'm saying, you know, it was three years and then now I'm playing AFL footy. So, um, yeah, it feels like a long time ago, but um, but it was a pretty scary, scary sort of scary year in the NFS, yeah. What do they do to help people fit in? Do you go to the pub and have a beer initially to meet people or is it basically straight into business or lots of meetings and shaking hands? Was there something that helped you really feel part of the furniture around the place? Uh, they did assign you a sort of mentor, which I had, I had Matty Boyd and um, he, he was uh, the captain, so he had a lot of other th- things to do at that time. But um, I feel like when, when I started, I feel like it's different now, but it was sort of find your own feet <laughs> on yep. your own a bit. Um, it was, you know, first training session, it's just do everything until you can't do it anymore. Um, whereas I think these days it's do half a session and then, then you keep building up from there. Um, and so it was pretty, pretty intimidating walking into and, and trying to, you know, just learn on the spot and, and you get thrown into the deep end a little bit, like even just like, you know, finishing training and then you got to go do a swim. I was like, I don't even know how to swim and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, it, it was a bit like that. You just had to learn as you go, um, whereas um, it's, I think it's better now, but now it's sort of like you, you're sort of you're, you're guided along the way. So um, it took me a little while to, to find my feet. Do you know how to swim now? I do after after many many injuries and rehab sessions of <laughs> I've, I've finally learned to be an average swimmer I'd say. <laughs> so so take us through that. So you you get finish training then you go into a swim session and you're not a swimmer. So how how are you actually feeling? You're thinking hang on I I want to show that I'm here and I'm committed but I don't even know if I can float. <laughs> So, so yeah, take us through all that. Yeah, so I, like I've never done swimming in life, and they're like, um, the fitness guy we had was a was a triathlete um, sort of specialist. So we had to swim like a K, I think, and um, <laughs> and this is how naive I was. There's 25 meter lap pools. Yep. I thought there were 50. Yep. So I, I thought I was absolutely killing it, and I've jumped out of the pool, and everyone's. Oh, still you jumped going. out first. <laughs> yeah. So, so I've done I've done 300 meters or so. It's thinking it's with, almost with no a technique. Yeah. You would have been grabbing onto the rope in the water, and and um, <laughs> you know, getting to the end and just resting for a minute, and then going, and, and just losing count eventually because I'm I'm so fatigued, and so. Um, so uh, I started to learn a trick where you just wait till everyone finishes and then <laughs> when everyone's in the change rooms, you jump out and, and then go to the showers after that. So I, uh, that was my sort of way of learning how to swim. <laughs> we had uh, Johnny Platten, the great Johnny Platten. Um, he couldn't swim either, so 
he used to have a big floaty around the middle, and that's you know he, used to, he looked like a drowned rat because he had the permed <laughs> long hair, and he just used to float up and back while everyone else was doing the swimming. So uh, you know you you weren't the first that couldn't get yeah, in. I and, wish and I wish I had the uh, the floaties, but. Um but yeah, back then, Matt, Matt Boyd or someone would have whacked you over the head for having those, <laughs> <laughs> having the assistance. Now, people probably look back at your time at the Dogs and thought, oh, they were fantastic the whole time. What a wonderful time to be at the club. It wasn't like that initially, though. The club did have a pretty tough transitional period before Luke Beveridge came in and lost more than you won. Um, yeah, the first first three or four years was was pretty rough uh, and sort of, you know, first first one or two years, you're just looking after yourself and, you you know, you don't really care about how much the team is going because you just want to get a game and things like that. But, but yeah, obviously losing a lot of games and, um, you know, walking into those Monday reviews was, was pretty scary having uh, having Brendan McCartney, um, pretty, you know, a bit of an old school coach and um, um, someone who I felt was, you know, really scary. You walk past him in the hallways and, you weren't sure whether to say hello or not, or you know you would say hello and he just wouldn't talk to you. And so those were pretty, you know, pretty dark times, and they would have been darker for the boys who are older and you know would have been in their in their prime, or or, or they played a lot of prelims in a row, and then all of a sudden they're they're down near the bottom. And then in twenty, uh, at the end of twenty fourteen, we lost we lost you know our captain and our coach, and and things looked like they were just you know turned into turned into absolute. You know, crap, and um, and so um, it was a pretty weird turnaround. You know, I don't think anyone expected that, but um, you know, I think we, I got a better appreciation of 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 the you know the better years um, just because we had had been through those been through those tougher ones. Luke Beveridge comes in. What do you remember about his first impression at the club? Um, well, completely different to to Brendan McCartney. Um, I thought he was great. He was um, he just was so down to earth and. And you know, like I mentioned before, just someone you could talk to, and 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 um, I think you know, in coaches, that's a it's a pretty big thing to feel comfortable around a coach. Um, and I think I can speak on behalf of all the players that that we felt that way. And so um, he just sort of brought on this this sort of mantra that um, he just really believed in us, and and it was you know a lot about you know if you make a mistake, don't worry about it. Um, and he just instilled this this crazy belief in us that that we never had, and. And it's 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 taken us, you know, to the finals after that sort of first year he was there, and um, and then obviously the premiership. So um, yeah, it's pretty underrated, um, you know, how much how much that can you know affect a, a club when when a coach really believes in you. Get ready to play everywhere, Australia. The AFL is here. With Tab Same Game Multi, you can combine all your favourite AFL markets like head-to-head, total points and anytime goal scorer all in the one bet to get bigger odds. Available on every AFL game this season. Build your Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help 1800 858 858. Yeah, like he um, he did a great grounding. Obviously, he had other jobs along the way. He worked for the tax department. Um, he loves skateboarding. I've seen him many a time cruising around on his skateboard. I don't know if you've ever seen him do that. Yeah, he's a he's a bit of a quirky character at times too. Yeah, yeah. he loves his surfing and but he he loves his footy and and I love that that uniqueness. Even now, he's got the uh, the handlebar moustache, <laughs> which some people are saying, oh, you can't take him serious and get a message from him, but. I think some people have lost the absolute plot. But, you know, coaches like that who, who are just prepared to do things differently and do it their way, 
um, they're the ones that often you know, have success and get the team going. Yeah, and um, just his off-field approach as well. Like um, like you said, he was a bit you know a bit different here and there, but um, I think first and foremost he was you know a sort of a friend. For, I use the word friend very loosely because it's hard to be a friend as a coach, but but that's what he was first, and then a coach second. So. So, you know, the things that, that, you know, if you ever had feedback for you or the things that he said, um, you'd take on board a lot, a lot more because, um, you know, you felt like you meant something to him as a person. And there's a way to say it too, isn't it? Like you, you can have a coach who can just look you in the eye and barrel you and then you can have a coach um, like Luke who can just go, hey, Ling, mate, this is what I need you to do or next time. And straight away the messages come through. He speaks to you in a manner that's respectful yeah. and conversational and it's amazing how that flows on. Yeah, and he sort of, like, you know, he'll, he, he can give you a whack over the over the years and then, then sort of put his arm around your shoulder, whereas... I think when when we had Brendan McCartney, it was always just you know straight down the barrel. Just this is how it is. You know that's there's no other way except this way. And you know if you've done something wrong, like this is your fault. This is this goal's you know this and that. And um, so it was just a, a, a you know you know really different approach um, to what I was used to anyway. And so um, yeah, not, like I said, you you just weren't afraid to make mistakes and and. And it's just crazy how much they can do for, for players. Footy's full of mistakes. Mm. You know, the very best players are making mistakes all the time. It's just what they do next. Do they make two in a row? You know, how they follow up. What about some of the players, the unique players, you know, on a footy list? As you said, you went through a few before. But everyone comes from all walks of life. And that's the great thing about a footy club. It really connects everyone and, and makes you understand a lot about cultures and different people. Were you there when Brian Lake... Was, did you get to play with him for a yeah, year? Yeah, I had him uh, for a couple of years, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was very unique. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even when he went to Hawthorne, you know, they often said that Brian's Brian and does things <laughs> his own way. So who are some of the players that, you know, you just thought, oh, they they obviously, um, 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 I'm trying to think of the captain um, who's gone over to Fremantle. Bob. Uh, Robbie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Robbie, Bobby Murphy. Can't believe I forgot him. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> if he's tuning in, he'd be listening because he loves all this. But like, he, he's different as well, you know. But we love that about all the footballers. We love that personality coming through and and being a bit different. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I keep saying when I was younger, I'm, I'm not trying to sound like an old person, but when I first went in, it was sort of like you just had to conform to this to this way of you know being being a man and doing this and. And, you know, I think a great example would have been Matthew Boyd. He was this, you know, grumpy old man um, and so intimidating. You know, I used to be so scared of him. And then as things progressed and, and you know, the younger players came along and all of a sudden it's, you know, it's okay to be yourself. You know, you don't have to you don't have to act a certain way or do things just because this person does it. It's And that's something, you know, Bevo instilled upon us. It's okay to be yourself. Um and sort of once it happened, you know, Boydie, all of a sudden, he's he's actually a really funny guy once you get to know him and and all these people are flourishing because, um, you know, they're not trying to act like someone they're not. Um, and, you know, all you know all these things that, that you know, off-field that, that make a huge impact, it, it's sort of, it's not really that surprising that, that we started to gel more a bit together and, and um, as we became better mates, it, you know, it was better on-field results. With Bevo, it sounds like two of his great strength through his passion and his loyalty, but maybe those two things can be his weaknesses at times as well, which you might have seen recently in some media <laughs> conferences. I love that. I, I loved it. I love, you know, obviously, 
um, Luke Beveridge, Tom Morris. I loved, you know, a journalist is doing his job, having a crack, and then he's trying to stand up to a football coach who's revved up to the max. I loved it. Like, and it's funny because we often complain about football coaches getting in there and going, oh, yeah, we didn't play well. Yeah, we weren't hard enough for the footy. Okay, see you later. I'm like, boring as bat, <laughs> bat crap, you know, boring as bat shit. So I loved it. I loved everyone challenging it challenging each other. Yeah, he overstepped the mark, but he apologised and we all move on. But it gave us – that was the start to the year. Like, <laughs> that, that's the start to the year. And you wouldn't believe it. It's probably the only time they don't go to a live press conference because they were talking about other things and all sorts of things. And then it just blows up like that. So, uh, anyway, I loved it. What did you think of it? Yeah, it sort of sort of overshadowed the uh, the game a bit. Um, <laughs> you forget that we lost. Um I thought I was I was on both sides as well. I could see it from both sides, you know. Obviously, if someone sprayed me, I'm going to stand up for myself. Yes. But, but and not many would. No, in no. that situation. So I give a bit of credit to Tom yeah, to Bevo. going. No, I, I'm no, I'm doing my job. Yeah, yeah, which he was. Yeah, and I think Bevo hasn't. Um, you know, I don't think he's the most fondest of, of media, but <laughs> but um, yeah, he. he yeah, felt like he um, he sort of um, triggered him a little bit there, and. Um, I don't know, it was nice. It was cool to see, you know, a bit of personality and a bit of anger. Obviously, um, you know, he was emotional, but, but we're humans and that's what we do. And, and he apologised after, you know, I think it's a different story. If if he didn't, um, I'm sort of knowing him, I probably, probably didn't want to. <laughs> but um, but at the end of the day, that's that's it. You say these things and, and it can be at the heat of the moment, but, but if you apologise and, um, yeah, no harm done, but... Obviously, no harm done, but there is a bit now. But um, but yeah, I, I think it adds adds a bit more to 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 the media side. You know, you see America, and, and you know people yeah. can just say what they want, and, and that's okay. Sometimes they get fined, but um, yeah, I reckon it, it adds another sort of layer yeah. to to footy. I think coaches should be challenged more in those press conferences because they make mistakes. You know, and you know you don't want to admit it, but I think they should be challenged more in situations like that because we don't want the standard. Um, anyway, I loved it and, uh, yeah, I wanted more. But I, I just got a feeling with Luke Beveridge, I reckon because they were talking about maybe information being leaked, you know, into the grand final last year and then obviously, um, you know, into the round one, players coming in and out and so forth. That was – so Luke Beveridge spent a bit of time with Alistair Clarkson and that is Alistair Clarkson's biggest hate. And you ever watch when he was coaching, there would always be – a late change with Alistair Clarkson half an hour before the match. Always. Um, he didn't even want the players to know, you know, because of the trust thing. So I've got a feeling that Luke Beveridge went, do you know what? Something's not right at the moment. It's maybe not the players. Maybe it's some support staff or maybe it's, I don't know, someone tied in with a football club, but it's getting out and I'm not happy with it. So I'm going to go at this journalist. I'm going to rip in, but I know my players and all of my support staff are going to see this. And there won't be any more information coming out for the rest of the year. I've just got a feeling there was more to that message, Quinny, than uh, than we all sort of think and know. Or as Lynn said, the fact that no one was talking about the fact they lost the game might have been a little diversion yes. as well. Yes. But let's talk about 2016 because you personally clearly just shot to another level. You established yourself as one of the elite midfielders in that Bulldog team that would go on and win a premiership. What changed in 2016 and 
Did your mindset change as well because you probably went out those first couple of years hoping to keep your spot in the team, maybe a little bit of self-doubt where you said you weren't good enough to be given a game in round 20 against Richmond. That certainly changed in 2016. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, after making the finals in 2015, and I think that was a bit of shock to all of us, um, this this whole mantra is, uh, you know, why not us? You know, we, you know, we could, you know, take it this far and... Um, you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of talking during that season from from older players saying, um, you know, who'd play in those previous prelims, saying this is actually something special, and you know, we've got a really special group with us. Um, and then, as the sort of yeah, as a year went on, I, I don't think you know you don't talk about finals that often early in the season. And once it became more of a real thing, and and all of a sudden, you know, maybe we're in this premiership window, um, and we did finish. At seventh or eighth, um, so we had to play West Coast in our first final, where um, it was sort of backs against the walls, and um, we had nothing to lose, sort of thing. And then, um, yeah, obviously won that, and from from that was sort of like a a big sort of spring into into all this. You know, we can honestly do, we can beat anyone on on any given day. Um, beat West Coast over there in a final um, is something we hadn't done in in forever. So, um, yeah, and I guess on a personal level. Um, Obviously, the year didn't end well for me, um, having been injured in the first final. Um, but yeah, just found this new belief in myself, and and all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm starting in the midfield alongside some bulldog greats, and and um, still pinching myself, but then still sort of saying, hey, you know what, I actually, I think I do deserve to be here because you know I've put in a lot of hard work, and and it's okay to sort of back yourself here and there. You'd learn how to swim. You've got all of that covered. <laughs> you were ticking all the boxes. But even leading into that first final against West Coast, the Bulldogs were wounded. You guys were – I think you had five players that came in for the West Coast game, the first final. So you guys were wounded. And that was the first time they virtually said, okay, we're going to have a week off. Um, which, looking back, if you didn't have that week off, you probably don't make a grand final. Um, that's that's the way I look at it, and I'm, I'm friends with um, good family friends with your doctor Gary Zimmerman, and um, you know even talking to him after you did go on to win the grand final, he's like, "Oh, the boys are unbelievable. I don't know how they held together, but they did. But thank goodness for that break leading up until your first final." Yeah, it sort of um, I actually forgot about the week off, um, but the stars sort of like aligned there because we had Libba and Jacko McRae, uh, obviously extremely good players. Um, and yeah, looking back, sort of, there was a lot of things that that really worked in our favour. Um, and um, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable in saying we wouldn't have won with that Libra or Jacko. <laughs> now, you personally, you had such a great season. Unfortunately, though, in that second quarter against West Coast, you break your collarbone, an injury that most people would be sidelined for six months for. I might never play again. <laughs> you missed one game of football. Unfortunately, though. It was a pretty bad time to do the injury. What happened next and how close did you get back to returning? Yeah, so did did my collarbone in the second quarter, as you said. Um, on the red eye, back to Melbourne. Got back at uh, about 5am, I think. Um, and straight into surgery that morning, I think. Um, so pretty uh, pretty crazy sort of few hours there. Um, but got the, uh, yeah, got the surgery. Um, obviously, uh, when it happened... They're trying to say, oh, I thought they were trying to just say, you know, you'll be right for, you know, the grand final or whatever game was coming up next. And, you know, I'm, I've broken the collarbone, so I'm sort of like, that's done for me. And I was, I was quite emotional about that. Um, 
And so all of a sudden, sort of had the surgery and, and sort of a few days after the surgery, I was sort of lifting my arm and I was like, this actually feels okay. Um, but obviously there's still a plate in, in my oh, arm. Oh, they chucked the plate in. Yeah, they? yeah, yeah. So I had the plate in and so um, missed the, uh, the Hawthorne final. Um, and then uh, we had GWS the week after that where – um, I was pretty touch and go. So if I, if we lost that game, I wouldn't have played in the in the VFL Grand Final, um, and so uh, I took a lot of painkillers and and sort of just had to get them to reaffirm that I can't break it again. It, it'll hurt a lot, but it cannot break. Like physically, can't break. Really, it is, was that the case? Yeah, and so I, I didn't realise you could whack a plate in and go, no, nah, you won't break it again. Yeah, I think I don't know. They just told me, told <laughs> me that ignorance is bliss. Well, after after the VFL game, um, we had to scan it because I could not lift my arm and and it was bent um, pretty pretty badly. So I'm like, you know, maybe it didn't break, but it was pretty. It could bend, um, and so so that was um, that was that two sort of uh, you know whirlwind over two weeks um, after having broken my collarbone and, and then missing that game and then coming back to play the VFL grand final and, and um, you know, played okay. And um, unfortunately, um, and in my heart, I probably knew that I wouldn't be able to play because there was no one to drop or, or no one to come in for. And um, But yeah, it was, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool thing to look back on. Before we get to the VFL Grand Final, because there's another great story, and you say you played okay, you got the Norm Goss Medal for Best on Ground. So again, once uh, again, no room for modesty in this up. podcast. <laughs> but you had a fair crack at getting back into the team before that Giants game, one of the best prelims we've ever seen. Tell us about the fitness test with Joel Corey. Yeah, so um, I, I said to him, uh, um, you know, they said, you know, if you get through training, you should be able to play. And I was like, no, I need someone to... You know, just bash me, you know, essentially. And Joel Corey being being the brute that he is, um, um, I've never seen him feel yes. much empathy for anyone, but even he felt a bit sorry. So I got him to come up to me and just, you know, I had the ball and just absolutely just smack me on, on my collarbone. And um, I was almost in tears after that, but but it's something I just I had to do. You know, I had to get him to tackle and... And just, just you know, flat out, just, just hit the hit the collarbone, just to, just to know I was, I was all safe and good to go because I couldn't, in sort of good conscience, go into a, into a, a finals, you know, half-hearted, knowing I'd be taking someone else's spot too. So, so that was pretty traumatising. It's Inside Fifty Saturday play, and we're joined once again by Tabs Bart Kennett. Bart, what have we got in store for the punters this week? This weekend, we're going to look towards last year's Brownlow medalist in Ollie Wines and our current 2022 favourite, Christian Petrarca. The offer is for Ollie Wines and Christian Petrarca to combine for 65 or more disposals on Saturday night at $4. Now, we don't have to look too far back to get excited about this one. Last time Port met the Hawks, Wines racked up just a lazy 43 touches, and while Petrarca kicked off his season last week in absolutely scintillating form with his 38 disposals to go along with his two goals. Now, Crawford, I'm keen to hear your thoughts. The Dogs last week went through nine opponents on Petrarca. How the Suns going to be able to contain well, he's an incredible player. Um, even when you are tagging him, he's still getting the footy. So he's a superstar. You've got to just try and force him to the back half of the ground. So still let him get the football. Just try not allow him to get it in the front half where he can kick goals. And that's what he loves doing as well. He's a superstar, wonderful player, and someone that we've been pushing really hard, Quinny, for a long time. Yeah, you bought shares in him very early. But thanks very much for that, Bart. You can find that offer on the Tab app. Ollie Wines and Christian Petrarca combining for 65 or more disposals at $4. Price subject to change and subject to liability cap. No multi, bonus, cash out, partial cash out or live bets qualify. 
See market page for details. Gamble responsibly. Gambler's help. 1-800-858-858. You didn't play in that Giants prelim. You go and play in the VFL Grand Final, but you had a little lace up your sleeve. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, going into the game, we oh they spoke about it a day before, and they said, oh, you know, this is something um, we've done in the past. We we strapped the the other shoulder um, because because you know generally the the other team will go after it, and I was just like, whatever, like I don't I don't, I don't care, you know, I'm I'm playing with the you know plate, like it's already hard enough. I don't need this, and so in my mindset, I was like, if I have this tape, it's sort of. There is something wrong with my shoulder. I want to come into the game thinking there's nothing wrong with me. So I said, yep, cool, whatever. I don't really want to do it. So come into the game day and um, and I said, no, nah, I don't want to do it because, as I said, I just want to act like there's nothing wrong with me even though there's a lot of padding there. Um, and then they're like, okay, it's your call. Do the warm-up, come back in there. And then the head physio is like, no, we, we really, really think you should do it. And I said, okay, just do minimal taping on the left shoulder. Um, had my broken collarbone on my right. And then through the game, they, they smashed the shit out of me. They, <laughs> my Who were you playing? In uh, it's against Casey. Um, okay. So the Melbourne, Melbourne yep, football club affiliate. Yep, earmarked. Had you circled on the board? Well, I, I sort of, um, <laughs> I think one of the boys with, was, uh, Caleb Daniel was friends with uh, Alex Neil Bullen, who, who said they made a point to to go after me and, and fair enough I put my hand up and said I was healthy to play but but my like my good shoulder so the one that was strapped was so sore from getting hit so many times <laughs> that it was genuinely worse than my broken <laughs> collarbone and so I was sort of like in my head I was like well now I've got two busted up shoulders <laughs> and when I could have just had one really bad one so um, but it probably it, it, it saved me in the end they didn't really catch on that that was that wasn't the one um, that wasn't the one to go after because um and I kept turning into it, um, but but yeah, it, uh, it it really did help me in the end. And a terrific day personally, as we said, you got the Norm Goss Medal for Best of Field, a two-time VFL Premiership player, and that must be a day you look back fondly with. Yep, so absolutely dominated the grand final. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's it, you're learning. Uh, close to 30 touches, I think it was. Um, no, so um, obviously didn't have that high of expectations to, to, to play that well. Um um, but yeah, sort of. Um, it sort of maybe helped me a little bit because I wasn't thinking so much as that I was playing in a grand final. I said, "Geez, I'd love to get through this game unscathed." Um, and yeah, happened to play play pretty well and um, and yeah, win 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 the win the Norm Goss Medal. And um, yeah, it's something I'm pretty uh, you know I've got I've got fond memories about now. But but even the way you've done it, you know, it just shows you you know mentally if you can get your head to that state where okay I've just got to get myself through it's amazing what you can get out of your body isn't it yeah your body just sort of adapts and rolls with you yeah and sort of sort of on the flip side I'm sort of like I'll never put myself through that thing ever again (laughs) but but it is something sort of I look back on and and sort of having gone through a a fair amount of injuries it's something I can sort of just look back on and, and say you know I actually went through that so I can get through this and and that was a great mindset for for a while, but after <laughs> after after years and years of that, it it sort of got to a point where it's sort of like, oh, I could get through that, but I don't want to anymore. <laughs> so, yep. um, it's something it's something that did hold me in good stead. It's something so a, a great example of of how sort of of how much I I know I can push myself at least. How hard was watching the AFL Grand Final between the Bulldogs and Sydney? It was. Uh, 
really sickening, if I'm going to be honest. Like, you know, as much as as much as I love my teammates, and and um, it did take me a while to sort of to to process, and um, it's just this really. Uh, and if oh, I feel bad saying it because it is it is it does sound quite selfish, but it's it's just like a sort of human nature sort of thing, and just the way that oh, I think that people are wired. You know, that you're missing out on this massive thing, and and. Um, you know, I, I was, uh, don't get me wrong, I was happy for my team and my teammates, but just from a, a really personal and selfish point of view, it's sort of like, geez, oh, I sort of wish I was out there. I feel like I deserve to be out there. Um, and it took me a fair while to sort of realise, you know what, you know, I can I can just be happy for, for other people, you know. Um, it, it, you, you get a lot more happiness um, from yourself if you can sort of let those kind of things go and, and say, you know what, I'm, you know, Jack McRae is one of my best mates and he's just won a premiership and I feel like I can actually honestly just be happy for him. But but it did take me a while to, to process when I was a bit younger. And what a win. It was incredible. Uh, I love the fact um, Luke Beveridge, and I don't know, you might be able to tell us the, um, you know, he coached at Hawthorne there for a little bit and worked a bit with the forwards with Buddy Franklin. And Buddy Franklin just had no time or space. Every time he got near the footy, it was like he was in a box of Bulldogs players around him. Just didn't allow him to, to do his his thing. And also he was just the real key for the Swans if they were to win. So was there was there a bit of talk around all that? Obviously, he's a star player. You want to stop the star players. But they do have a lot of other good players as well. But I, that's one thing from a coaching point of view. I just thought, gee... The Bulldogs had that plan perfectly. Yeah, so even throughout the season, we had, we always had plans for him. Um, obviously, being the player he is, um, you know there there is you know that point where it's just like Buddy's Buddy, and he's going to do what he does. But uh, a huge thing that we made a big deal was, and, and Bev always said he's the best field kick in the AFL. Like, and that's something that gets gets overlooked because of the amount of goals he kicked, but it was always, um, and I think the, you know, when you float around the person with the ball, um, that's changed a bit, but it was never, ever let him get a handball received with someone on the mark so so that he could actually kick it to someone inside 50 because he hits a target all the time. And so so that was made a pretty big deal of, and, and um, you know, we focused on that even throughout the season. Now we look at your games and it's see 65 here which is an indication that it's an amazing effort to play 65 games, but if not for rotten luck with injury, that number could be doubled or tripled. You had so many bad injuries. How hard was it first physically and then mentally just dealing with the injury, the rehab, getting back in the team and then starting the whole process over again? Um, it was it was really tough. Sort of, I, I was one of those players in the first sort of few years. I never had injury ever in my life. And then sort of when it rained, it poured and, and it just kept happening over and over and, and it was hard enough to sort of find consistency in a sport that I wasn't that familiar with, um, and so to finally sort of you know make it back in, um, and then and then you have surgery, and then you got to build your way up again, and and you sort of you lose confidence from injuries, and and um, even just like you know uh, Shane mentioned you know being able to jump, and and <laughs> I can't jump to save my life now because of all the injuries, um, and it's uh, it was really sort of mentally draining, and and and. As I mentioned earlier, I kept saying to myself, uh, you know, I've done this injury, I can do uh, my ACL, I can come back from any, any injury, um, you know, break, broken my leg and so I can keep coming back. And then it just got to a point where it's just like, I don't know if I can anymore. And, and it really did get to a point towards the end. And even in the last game I played, it was always, I was always expecting to get injured. I was sort of like, um, you know, things are going pretty well, um, but 
I'm going to get injured eventually. And, and that was sort of just that, that little voice in my head. And, and obviously that didn't help out. Um, but yeah. And then in the, in, in my last injury I did, um, uh, I, I knew I was done. I was sort of like, I don't, I don't even want to do rehab any. I don't love, I don't love footy enough to, to want to go through it. So, um, it was a bit sad in the end, but, um, but you know, I wouldn't really change it. <laughs> you just know. And then, but it's quite a remarkable story. Really. You, you start having a kick, with your mates, 15 years of age, you're somehow good enough to get yourself onto a list. Um, as you said, you know, you felt different going into a football club. They embrace you. Your mother's converted. Um, she still goes to the games. It is it is a remarkable story, you know, um, for what you've been able to do. And not many people play AFL footy, let alone, you know, over 60 games. And... Uh, I did because Ben Dixon back in the day said keep an eye out for you. So I always kept an eye out for you because he had, you know, great faith in where you're going, what you're trying to do. But the thing is, you played a bit too tough. <laughs> like <laughs> that's your problem. So you don't want to go in and bash your body every week, which is what you did. You love the physical side of things. So where did that come from? Um, as I said, I grew up with four sisters, so I reckon <laughs> when they beat the I'll shit out of what, me. They must be tough. They must be bloody tough. Yeah, but they did stop after I was about 16. <laughs> uh, um, no, I just always, I don't know, I always played that way. And I, yep. you know, I feel like I had this courage. And, and as I said, I never got injured when I was younger. So, so I kept going and going. And then... And I then, think it's because everyone probably got out of your way. <laughs> yeah, a little bit like, of that. Stay away from him, he um, charges through. Uh, but then the injury sort of, they did... Tinker my mind. Even when I did my knee, I was sort of like, I was always 50-50 sort of after those balls. So, um, yeah, I I just always did that without thinking. And and, and I remember Will Minson pulled me up one time um, and he said, you got to, like, it's, you're, you're courageous, but you're stupid. And I'm sort of like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and and so I, once he sort of, um, you know, said that, I sort of started to tick a bit. Um, you know, it's, it's all good and well to go back with the flight, but if you don't have to, you don't have to. Like it's, <laughs> the ball's not there to be spoiled. It's, it's, yeah. it's great intentions. Um, so you know, I did have to, as I said, you know, learn along the way um, when, I, when I was sort of playing in my early years. Um, but, yeah, it, became, it probably became more of an outside player uh, in my last couple of years, I reckon. Now, you had shocking luck with injury. You had a lot of luck off the field. But alligator blood, 100 metres to go, races away, three lengths in front, Super Seth is flying, alligator blood stopping, Super Seth from the clouds, it's close, Super Seth has put in a mighty lunge, Super Seth may have got alligator blood, it's a photo, groundswell for third, photo four, and Super Seth will get up in a bar. The 2019 Caulfield Guineas won by Super Seth. No. How many horses have you owned, you reckon, no Shane Crawford? How many shares have you taken you know in horses? What? You can get stuffed in. <laughs> uh, that's unbelievable. You, so, how many horses have you had shares in? I've, uh, yeah, I've had a lot of horses. I've had shares um, in 83 horses. Have you? 83. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I laughing? Why am I laughing? And you'd be about the same, wouldn't you? I'd, yes, yeah, probably. I don't yeah. know. But a lot. A third of a your lot. partner knows of, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this bloke bowls up first horse. No. Super Seth. No way. Wins the Caulfield Guineas in a photo finish. Walk us through that day. Well, it's actually the tenth time I've heard that just today. So <laughs> it's part of my uh, part of my morning ritual. Um, I suppose wow. this this good sort of stuff I can be a bit more cocky about. <laughs> but no, I. Um, 
I've never really been into horse racing that much. And oh, see, that hurts as well. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm so, I'm so to say to anyone listening. Um, but uh, my good mate, Lockie Hunter, uh, just came to me one day. Um, he, so talk about luck. So he, him and Tory Dixon had Merchant Navy first up, and then they got into Super Seth. And I said, oh, geez, if you ever get into another horse, can you just let me know? <laughs> and he said, oh, there's a percent for this horse. Um, you know, they, they reckon it's pretty good. Um I was like, yeah, of course. I sort of, I just want to be in it for the experience to go to the races and and have a horse and watch him and and all of a sudden we're watching him in a group one and um and the way he won was 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 unbelievable and um, like a rocket, <laughs> yeah. And so so it went to stud, didn't it? Did that? Yeah, yeah, oh, we'll yeah. get to that. Oh, we're getting to that because you're talking about still oh, you're talking about, about <laughs> merchant, <laughs> merchant navy. You're talking about merchant navy that went overseas and won, and then it was sold for thirty or forty mil. <laughs> I'm like, hang on, you're ro- you're rolling with the right people. <laughs> yeah, I th- I sort of thought um, <laughs> that being my first thought, so I sort of like, oh, geez, like especially good. with with Lockie and and, and Dicko having merch now, it's like this must just happen all the time. <laughs> like, if if this trainer says it's good, it must be good. Like, it must be so simple. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, went went to stud, and um, he didn't he didn't win a race after that, unfortunately, um, but. But yeah, I thought I just thought it was that easy, and, and they <laughs> and they're filming, you know, Channel Seven. They're like, you know, how how does it feel? And I sort of, I was sort of like, this is this is so easy, like horse, <laughs> you know, owning a horse, probably coming off a bit arrogant, but just trying a bit of tongue in cheek, and um, and yeah, it was a pretty wow. um, pretty crazy experience that day. So so you they come to you and say, hey, oh, by the way. Not only have you won a big race, yep, amazing. It's over a million dollars that race anyway, isn't it? But it's a stallion-making race. Um, oh, there's a star that wants to buy this horse. So where, how did those conversations go? So we, and how much did they offer to buy the horse for? <laughs> so we were lucky because... Um, Bloody lucky. The, the boys had been through it previously, so they were talking as if, you know... It it all been done before, pretty casually talking, throwing out these figures. Um, I think Yulong was was it was floating around there somewhere, but then the um, I think it was Wakado Studs um, came and like you know they want to offer this much. I think it was about fifteen mil or something like that. And we're all just like, Jesus, what the hell's going on? Like this is like like some some other some other mates were in it who um, you know didn't play footy and they're sort of yep. like, this is life changing. I'm like, mate, it's life changing. It's like you play footy. I'm like. Doesn't matter, mate. This is like this is crazy money for, for but it's anyone. easy. I can do it every year. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, sort of once um, once all that sort of that got figured out, and uh, I still remember we um, the the majority owner um, I can't remember his name, big millionaire. I was sort of like, yep, come pick up your checks in the, in, in the Rialto Tower level, whatever. <laughs> and I'm dressed up in, you know, Burks and shorts and a tee and, and I'm going up to like level something <laughs> in this big boardroom and they hand, hand me this check and I'm just like, this oh, cannot be real. And um, Who wants to play footy? I'm going to just see... Was it Jonathan Munns? Was he the senior? Yeah, that's man? the one. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and so I'm... Um, I'm sort of like, geez, this is more than I've made made in footy for the past few years, so it's pretty handy. Um, but I have invested in a fair few horses after that. Um, and good, so you should. You'll be, you'll be happy to hear none of them have been any good. <laughs> but Super Seth, your first horse, just forget the, the money aspect of no, it. You Although can't he won over $1.6 million and then went to start. For he won mil. five races. You won that thrilling Caulfield Guineas. What was the adrenaline like, and can you compare it to playing footy? Um, it was, 
it was pretty nervy, sort of. I think with footy, because cause you're playing and you have control of your own fate sort of thing, it's a lot different, whereas going to watch watch your own horse and, um, you know, let alone just a horse, a random horse you might punt on, is, is nerve-wracking enough for me. Um, and so throughout the day, um, I, I don't think we had much of a chance. Um, um, I can't remember who beat us um, in the races before, but um, so we were, I think we were sitting at maybe fourteen dollars for the for the day. And, and oh, don't tell me you backed it as well. We I oh, did back. <laughs> you have to, don't you? And, and so it ended up coming into into eight dollars or something. So um, at this, you know, started. I was pretty, I was pretty relaxed. And as I said, it was the first horse of own, so I wasn't, you know, expecting it to win. I don't think many of us were. But then, sort of once once the punters started backing, and it was like all of a sudden, it was like, oh, maybe we actually are a chance. And and um, you know, Alligator Blood was in that race. Is it? Who's a pretty good horse? Um, and looked like he was going to win with about four hundred meters to go. Um, and then, sort of, yeah, just watching it. And I think I sort of stopped watching around the bend. I was like, oh, geez, this is you know, it was it was, good, it was great fun to be here. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> it's like turn around and, like a rocket. And then he, yeah, he, he came from the clouds, as they say. So, so take us through those feelings because you still didn't know, like you'd won. Mm. And you're thinking, this is amazing. I've, I've had my little bet on it and we've won, you know, prize money. This is a, incredible. But you probably didn't have in the back of your head, oh, now we're going to sell the horse for $15 million plus as well. Whereas I'm sure Lockie and the others that had been a part of Merchant Navy, <laughs> they're like, oh, cha-ching, 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 you beauty. It's happened again, which um, is very rare. Yeah, well, you know, you, you get into the, in the horse-owning business for fun, as we all know. Um, but... That obviously wasn't at the forefront of my mind. They 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 sort of floated the idea, saying, you know, if we do win, that's some serious coin to be made. Um, but yeah, just I mean, at that moment, I was you know we weren't sure at one, so we were sort of jumping up and down. Um, and then and then to watch the replay and and um, the photo finish was um, you know it was it was so ecstatic and and yeah, the money didn't really sort of come into into fact until you know after. After I finished, you know, the five-day bender after the win. <laughs> <laughs> Five days is a pretty good way to celebrate it. Oh, I'd yeah. love to know how many times you watched that replay. Did you do anything wise with the money? Tell me you, you bought something <laughs> or invested. Did you do something smart? Oh, I probably uh, invested. I've so invested it about into another 10 horses since then. So <laughs> so that money is leaking out pretty quickly. Um, um, but no, straight to straight to the mortgage. Yeah, good. No, well, that's well good. Done. Put it to the mortgage. That counts. Yep. Who's the best horse you've had? Shveno Fighter? Yeah, we, which won a Turnbull Stakes and then went on to be favourite in the Caulfield Cup. And, um, Slaughtered too. Ren, yeah, yeah, it's questionable, um, but um, but it's the thrill, like doing it with your mates, and as you say, you've got no control. So the the trainer, the jockey, it's, the horse can't talk to you. You don't know. Let your fingers crossed. You know the horse goes well. You know you just hope. But winning with your friends, and and that's what I say. You can't get any bigger buzz. Like you, you really can't. When your horse wins with your mates, you're all in it together. Yes, yeah, you play footy and have big wins, great, but it's pretty hard to compare when, you know, you've got people from all walks of life doing something and having a, a real high. It's pretty amazing uh, sport to be a part of, and that's why we all love it. Yeah, yeah, and so I did miss out on the 2016 Premiership, but that, that would have been as close to as a feeling as I would have gotten, I reckon. Um, and, 
like you say, it's just the highest of highs, and and I did, I you know, I did joke about the five day bender, but I I I didn't last till twelve a.m. that night because I was on such a high, and then obviously what goes up must come down, and and I just crashed because it was just the the best feeling in the world, honestly, and um and it's it's hard to put in yeah. put into words, and um you know I know it might sound silly, you're just having a horse winning, but um. But one of the best days, one of the best days of my life. It wasn't just a race, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's a race that everyone wants to try and win, and they want to sell their horses to stud, which and is which is the dream, isn't it, for all those horse lovers out there, Queenie? It, it is. It's buying the Tats Lotto ticket. Lockie Hunter won it twice, but just the fact that you and, won in a photo finish like that just was unbelievable. And knowing you've been in about eighty plus horses, Quinny, and still can't win a maiden at Quambatook, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I think we need to readdress where you're going with life. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Get ready to play everywhere, Australia. The AFL is here. And with Tab Same Game Multi, you can combine all your favourite AFL markets like head-to-head, total points and anytime goal scorer all in the one bet to get bigger odds. Available on every AFL game this season. Build your Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858. Now, <laughs> being a footballer, you've obviously come across a lot of famous people. I mean, you've got Shane Crawford, you're right, prime example. But a Bulldogs, other a footy club that seem to mingle with a lot of the celebrities. Have you come across some of the famous types we often see, the Hollywood A-listers that sometimes get to the dog games? I do have a decent story um, um, about this, and... It was uh, round one of 2019. We we're playing against the Sydney Swans, um, and it's pretty well known that Chris, Chris Hemsworth is a, is a Bulldog supporter. He was there at the grand final in 2016, and so uh, there was a couple of us rehab boys who were watching the game, and um, and so the game sort of was coming to an end. We knew it would won, and a few a few of the other boys just sprinted down to make sure they were there for the, for the song. And I remember Dale Morris was on crutches, so. You know, being the good bloke that I am, just decided to wait for him. Um, <laughs> and you know, Karma, Karma decided to repay. And um, we were going to the lifts to get down. The security guard holds us up, and he's like, "Hang on, hang on a second, boys. Who are you guys?" And you know, we're like, "Oh, we're players. Like, you know, it's a it's an AFL game. We're players. We 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 you know, we're the biggest stars here." <laughs> and so, all of a sudden, Gil McLaughlin walks behind us. And and um, the security guards are like these guys with you, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, they're okay." They, so we go into the sort of thanks, Gil. Yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks after Gil. Yeah, the players probably, we put on the show, yeah, pretty, pretty <laughs> famous. <laughs> enough. At least he said yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so at the game was Chris Hemsworth and Matt Damon, um, and so their whole sort of entourage comes into the lift with us, and sort of they see us and they notice the players and they're. They start chatting to us, like saying how, um, you know, Matt Damon's sort of in particular talking about how crazy the game is, how crazy we are to play it, and, and Chris Hemsworth is sort of just saying good day and stuff. And so that was, you know, pretty pretty crazy sort of thing <laughs> to be in a lift with, with those two people. And, and um, you know, Chris Hemsworth, you know, being the megastar he is, but I, I'm sort of big Matt Damon fan, love Goodwill Hunting, and so I was sort of more, <laughs> more starstruck by him. And um, two... Too nervous to, to ask for a photo. I shut myself a little bit and <laughs> couldn't get the words coming coming out of my mouth. And, and then 
sort of lift went down and then off they went into this big uh, big limo um, with their with their big party and then off we went to the change rooms. And <laughs> you so, should have just jumped in. With <laughs> you should have just jumped in. I thought I pushed my luck a bit too much. No, but I'm but sure it all came about the waiting for Del Morris. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely superb. Round is my favourite Damon movie for those playing at home. Yeah. Now we're going to finish with some bangs. Favourite ever win? Um, I have to be in my first first um, win. It was against Richmond uh, in 2014. Um, so it took me a couple of years to to get my first win. But, um, but yeah, that was probably, probably the biggest one. I, you know, I kicked a couple of goals. I played okay and I had mum and dad there. So that's probably the most memorable one for me. Best sledge you've ever heard? <sighs> Best sledge. <laughs> I think... Um, um, I, I, I was pretty well known to to not have a um, not have a good kick. Uh, as I said, I didn't play footy for that long before I started playing, and sort of been I don't know. We were probably halfway through the season, and and right like before I was having a set shot, Sean Higgins, who moved to the uh, to North Melbourne, <laughs> just sort of came up to me before I was having a set shot. He's like, "Mate, have you kicked a um, have you kicked a drop punt all year?" <laughs> and so before he said that, right before a drop punt, that actually put me off so much, and obviously sprayed it. So <laughs> that was a pretty handy one. <laughs> best spray from a coach you've heard? Um, best spray um, probably in the off season. It was from Brendan McCartney. Um, after my second year, he's, he just said, you um, you know, you have the big review and all the coaches and people sitting there. And he just sort of said, half of us don't even want you here. And you're lucky, you know, the the better half of us do. So just remember, you're so lucky to be here. And that, that was sort oh, of... Oh, gee, that's going to give you confidence. And that's, yeah, that's gonna, yeah, and that's going to make you want to be here. <laughs> well, that's a fair whack. What, well, no wonder he fell out with the players. What was the upside in that? Was he trying to motivate you? Was he trying to say he was one of the few that did want you there? There's, oh, I still don't There's no don't upside know. in that. <laughs> and so well, I, I honestly, I was bawling my eyes out as I left that meeting. And the development coach had to come and say, oh, he's only saying that to, to you know, motivate you a bit. I'm just like, I don't, 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 don't want to play, play for I don't it. want to play footy no, anymore. Well, that, so. that's the thing. So you've got to pick, pick so that your was, target. Yeah, that was by far the worst one, Jeez. I think. Normally they're quite humorous. That's genuinely nasty. Yeah. Well, and do you want to be at a football club where half these people in here don't want you? Yeah, that was... Which the, obviously wasn't the case. But <laughs> it's like, you, in the back of your mind, you're probably thinking... Yeah, mate, which ones don't want me here? Who, yeah. Who's spoken up about me? Yeah, so all that of was, a sudden, you start questioning yourself. That was my exact thinking, and, and you would know sort of in those reviews, like there were people who just had no right to be sitting in there like, <laughs> so I don't even know who you are. <laughs> you can't be telling me how my season went. You don't know how to kick a footy. Um, so that was by far the worst, and, and probably Bevo when yeah. um, I got caught sort of touring the Collingwood facilities, he, he called me up and, and gave me a big old spray. Oh, me. yeah, yes, okay, let's go nearly, through that. That That's, one nearly went through to the keeper. What so, happened? So, what happened there? Your, your mum loves the Bulldogs. She, she doesn't watch AFL, but all of a sudden she's on the bandwagon, and you've decided to go on tour Collingwood. Why? Um, I was I was led astray. I'm going to say that first and foremost. So by your management, by management, yeah. So um, he sort of said, "Oh, you know, they're pretty." This was halfway through the season. They're like, you know, Collingwood are pretty keen. It'd be good. So to you hear hang what on. You went and did a tour halfway through the year. Oh yes, goodness. and he said, oh, it's mate. Are you crazy? He goes, mate, it's at night time. And I'm sort of like, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, um, the Bulldogs are low-balling. I'm like, yeah, this could get the ball rolling a bit. This this is under Luke Beveridge as well? Yep, yep, yeah, yeah, under Luke Beveridge. Oh, and so we go through the back entrance at, at uh, Westpac Centre. And so I was sitting in a room with uh, Neil Baum, Nathan Buckley, and 
And I can't remember who the uh, the head of the list manager was at that time. Um, and so, you know, had a big meeting with them. And then they're like, you know, why don't, why don't we show you the facilities and stuff? And so walking through the weights room and the pool and, um, you know, we didn't, didn't have one at the Bulldogs, so it was pretty cool. And um, But you can't swim. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't want to go near that pool. It was, it was cool to look at. I mean. <laughs> um, and so there were players doing weights. I think there were VFL players all bit. And I sort of walked and I'm oh. like, oh, this. I was like, geez, that's a bit. Oh, I don't know what's about that. And <laughs> no shit, the next day, like, it's just out in the papers. I'm like, I'm not even. I'm not even a good player. Why is this making the back page? This is not newsworthy, but um, it was pretty, you know, uh, you know, players always do it, but I just got caught. And Bevo call, <laughs> called me up and he's like... So, so he wasn't face-to-face, he got on the phone to you? I, so yeah. what was your reaction when you saw your phone and it's Luke Beveridge ringing? So I got a heads up, luckily, for my manager. Decline, so decline, gonna go, decline. Yeah, they're going to go for this story. <laughs> Bevo's going to call you. And I'm like, oh, like, this is <laughs> end of the world sort of stuff for me. And he's... He's called up. He's like, mate, like I've just heard this. Like he's like, this isn't true. Like, <laughs> like oh, it can't be true because who would be that stupid to do it? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, mate. I was like, yeah, no, I did, um, I did do it. And he's like, you know, what the hell are you doing? Like, how can I trust you to play with us if you're doing this? How can any of the players trust you? You know, he's just gone, you know, bang and just like gone. And I'm just like, yep, yep, yep. Um, I'm an idiot. Please forgive me, mate. Um, and it just end, it end up, you know, we it wasn't resolved at all. And then, uh, luckily, Jason McCartney, our list manager at the time, was able to say this. This happens in in the modern day of footy. Um, as I said, unfortunately, I got caught and probably should have done it differently, <laughs> if not not done it at all. Um, so he calmed down a bit, and and he did play me play me that next week. And so the boys made a big joke of it. They <laughs> yeah. Walked, so it's pretty awkward walking to the change rooms. Um, and then we had the team meeting. They put a big picture of me in a Collingwood Gans, and I had big sleeve tattoos and, <laughs> and about four teeth missing. So, um, but um, yeah, I'm I'm so lucky to to have stayed at the Bulldogs because um, yeah, to, to I got to stay there for ten years and, and get life membership and um, um, but yeah, I'm pretty pretty happy I stayed there. So it was Bevo. Really angry or a bit of sarcastic humour to begin with and sort of just let you dob yourself in. What was he like? Did we, was he similar to what we saw at the press conference the other day or much more measured? Similar to the press conference. Um, um, <laughs> I feel for uh, I reckon Tom he Morris. Would have, I reckon he would have barreled you at management as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. No, he did. Thank, thank God it was over the phone or, or I would have ended in tears just like my uh, end of season review spray, I think. But I think I think he would have understood you were generally sorry. You were genuine in being sorry uh, yeah, for yeah. Put, put, putting yourself in that position. So that's obviously why. He played you, and uh, yeah, there's plenty of love there. But uh, that would have been great to be a fly on the wall to watch yeah, the conversation. I, I do laugh unfold. about it now, but that would uh, be a great reality show if we were able to just track <laughs> that. You know, I know we've tracked some footballs and coaches over the last few years. Now that would be something that would be unforgettable. Yeah. Watching that happen, <laughs> it was probably and it was the first sort of experience I had of Bevo showing that side of him. So. Um, yeah, never, never to it again or entertain that idea. Did you say, hey, mate, they've got a pool? <laughs> like, funniest football moment. Um, could be on a footy trip, could be something in the change rooms. That was pretty funny, that story. Yeah. Trying funniest. to work through it. Doesn't have to be about him, though. <laughs> um, 
Did you go on any footy trips? Probably early on you did because you're allowed to, but then they stopped them. Yeah, early on, um, well, they kept going to America, so you had to be, you could only go if you were 21, but um, probably one I haven't haven't told, but it's pretty funny looking back on it now. Um, We, um, as you do, you have your buys uh, throughout the year, um, and um, so it's a good chance to sort of, you know, catch up with the boys and, and have a few drinks and. Um, I think the state of origin. I can't remember what year it was. The state of origin was that night, uh, and uh, a few of us had planned to go on a golf trip, and so I got a bit carried away having a few too many drinks, um, as you know, people in their twenties do. And then, you know, all of a sudden, my flight's at six. It's like maybe I should just, you know, have a few more drinks and just <laughs> go all the way through. <laughs> and um, you know. Um, why, why do you book it at six o'clock anyway? That was you know, the just, first mistake. Just an error. Um, and then you know, got onto um, uh, called called the missus, and I was like, "Oh, can you you know, can you take me to the airport this time? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stay up. Like, there's no point in going to sleep now. What's the point in getting two hours sleep? Um, and then go to the uh, the large luggage area and carrying my uh, my golf bag and and um, still like absolutely stink of alcohol. And then, um, sort of, lo and behold, um, I ran into Bevo's wife, who's there, and she's like, "Jesus, you need to go to bed." And I'm like, "Yeah." Oh, and then Bevo's right there. Oh no, <laughs> the coach is there, dropping off his surfboard, and oh. we so happened to be on the same flight. Oh. <laughs> Did not say a single word to me because he sort of obviously knew the state I was in. <laughs> um, so that was probably <laughs> looking back. That was it's funny now, but I was I was shitting. He, he had a word to me because um, we were playing sort of. Midweek the next week, so probably broke the uh, the drinking rules that that we had in place. Um, but <laughs> but I can say it now because I don't play anymore. But and, the, and the sleeping rules, you didn't go to sleep. Yeah, well, they rock up and then the coach is on his way. They assume you, we have common sense as players, but um, not all not all of us do. <laughs> I won't ask how you hit him on the golf course. Yeah, probably. Uh, I, I'll raise a bat uh, over 100 in, in the golf course, I think. <laughs> that's, that's not a good thing. <laughs> final question. We've loved having a chat to you today. So thank you so much for giving up your time. But final question, what's next for Lin Jong? Um, so I had plans to do, to do teaching and um, uh, was lucky enough to, to do, do a bit of work at a school after footy. Um and sort of figured it wasn't quite for me. Um, still figuring out what, what what I enjoy, and I've always been really passionate about mental health, having gone through my own sort of mental illness. Um, so it's something, you know, I advocate. And and now to to get a job at Beyond Blue, which is where I work now, um, and sort of really feel like I'm I'm making a difference uh, on a on a whole new level, is something that I'm um you know really appreciative of, and something footy. You know, footy can change and help people's lives and influence them, but but I feel like this is on a different scale. So I'm at Beyond Blue now, and I'm working in mental health, and and you know, for the time being, that's what that's what I see myself doing. No, it's such important work, especially you know, someone who's had their own battles to actually share those experiences. It's amazing what the flow-on effect and how it can actually help you know so many people from all walks of life. Um, James Heard. I spent some time with James Hurt and he told me his story and I'm like, and at the time he was very guarded with everything he was doing and I'm like, no, you, you need to you need to tell everyone that, you know, and he's like, oh, I'll just, I'm not ready to. But then he got to a stage where he, he started talking about it because it was a way of, of coming out the other end and not only that, the amount of letters, the amount of support that he gets on the back of telling his story 
and helping so many, you know, through really tough times. It's so important. So the work you're doing is is awesome. So keep up the good work. Keep telling your story. And, um, mate, it's fantastic that you played, you know, over 60 games from where you've come from. And then on top of it all, you own a bloody champion racehorse and you slot to start. It doesn't get any better than that, so well done. I think that's the best thing about me. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn, you're an absolute legend on and off the field. Thanks so much for having a chat. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for having me. And punters, you've been listening to Inside 50. Inside 50.